Well, Happy New Year. All right, Happy New Year. Very good. I mean, I can't believe it. You know, it's already another year. You know, we were just talking about it um, earlier, how I think it's an age thing, that the older you get, the faster time happens. Does it happen to you? Yeah, that you feel like time's going faster. And, and it's very exciting, no, uh, uh, the beginning of a new year, even though if you think about it, um, nothing really changes from December 31st to January 1st. You know, it's just another night. But to a lot of us, it's, it's very exciting because, uh, you know, this, this beginning of new cycles, as Laura was saying, we have these large cycles, years. We have cycles begin every day. You know, like the, the, the Bible says that uh, every morning his mercies are renewed. But when we begin a new cycle like a year, it gives um, a lot of us a sense of uh, that we can implement some changes in our lives, right? Uh, but, but you know what I have noticed is that uh, people are kind of divided into two groups when it comes to that because there is a group of people that are really excited. You know, they, they really believe that they can set some goals, implement some changes. This is going to be a, a truly fresh start and a new beginning. But for another group of people, it is the beginning of a frustrating, vicious cycle because we know ourselves. And we know we have set these goals before, and we know we have said before that things are going to change and from now on, and, and, and it's just a matter of time, you know, depending on your willpower. For some people, it might be like three months. Uh, for some, like by February, you know, the gyms will be empty again, you know. Some, you know, just a couple of weeks. But, but you know what's the difference between um, the people that set these goals and truly allow God to make changes in their lives and the ones that do not? It is the things that we're focused on regarding certain things. See, the Bible teaches us that there are, there's a group of things in your life that regardless of how they are right now, you should be satisfied with them. Doesn't matter how they are, you should be happy, you should be content with them. But it also teaches that there's a different set of things in your life that it doesn't matter how they are, you should be unsatisfied, you should be unhappy, you should, you should not be pleased with the where they are. Now, if you confuse those two sets of things, you know, if you're satisfied with things that you shouldn't be, or you're not satisfied with things that you should be, your life is going to be always frustrating and exhausting. But if you have them clear in your head and you know what to do with each one of those things, then, you know, this is not just going to be the beginning of a new a good year. It's going to be the beginning of a new way of living life in a way that is going to be truly fulfilling. So, see, I wanted to share with you my prayer for all of you this year in regards to these things. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. So let me pray for us and, and, and let's analyze what are these two groups of things that, that we need to really have clear in our heads. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity to come here and, and worship you and, and celebrate you and, and study your word with this lovely family that you have created here in Community of Faith. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for each person that is hearing these words at this moment. We just ask you that you open our hearts, prepare them, so that we will receive your word and it will transform us, Father. We, we would love to walk out of here seeing things the way that you see them. So help us do that, Father. And it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Very well. Um, we're going to study a passage today that you can find in the first letter to Timothy. See, this letter, it's a very interesting letter. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, 
Uh, if you read his, his writings and you read the book of Acts, you're going to see that, you know, he was in prison in Rome, and then he was let go. He went and, and planted this church in a, in a city that was the most important city in, in Asia, in the province of Asia, the Roman Empire, a city called Ephesus, okay? This city was uh, very large. You know, at the time, it must have had like about 250,000 people, that for the time, it's a lot of people. And it was a very important place because it was right next to the ocean right next to a river that connected other cities and was the beginning of many roads that took you to the most important other cities in Asia. So, you know, there was a lot of commerce going on there. You know, there was a lot of things going on in Ephesus. And, and Paul planted this church, and then he left in charge of that church a very young disciple called Timothy. And after that, Paul was arrested again and taken to Rome. Okay, so since he couldn't go to Ephesus to, to teach Timothy what he was supposed to do, he wrote these letters to him that are known as the pastoral letters, which means he was teaching Timothy how to be a pastor, how, how men of God are supposed to behave. But it's not written just to pastors, but to people of God. So it is very interesting for us to read these words of Paul that he was trying to, to teach this, this young man. Now, at the end of that letter, in chapter 6, verse 11, Paul is giving him his final instructions. So listen to what he says to him. He says, but you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So you see, we can see there that he's talking about two groups of things. He's saying there are things that you have to get away from, you have to run from. He says, flee from these things. And there's other things that we're supposed to pursue. You know, he says, and pursue, and he gives a list of things. Now, what are we supposed to flee from to understand what he's talking about? We have to backtrack since we started at the end. Let's go back to verse number three, and let's see what Paul is talking about. He says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine of conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. And he's going to go on to say that out of these teachings, this is out of which arise men deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. See, one of the main problems that they had at Ephesus is that since it was so large a city and it was, uh, you know, formed by people that came from all over the place, they had a lot of doctrines. They had a lot of religions, a lot of philosophies, different ways of thinking. And, and Paul is addressing here two basic false doctrines that, that were, um, you know, uh, in a way attacking the church. One of it, he says, is the not following God. You know, it's like not, you know, the people that don't believe in the godly life. But the other one that concerns us as believers is the one that goes against the sound words of Jesus Christ. In other words, there is a distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says at the end of the day, that distortion is to believe that by following Jesus, you will get financial gain. Okay? That's very relevant in, in our society today. There's a lot of people that say that. Okay, but I love that Paul clarifies and he says, but, you know, he says, actually, you know, following Christ is means of great gain, but with one condition. He says, when it's accompanied by, by contentment, you know, so this is the group of things that you have to be content with that he's going to talk about. So let's talk about the first point in your program says contentment. See, these are things that you are supposed to be satisfied with 
regardless of how they are at this moment. But before we analyze what things is he talking about, I want you to understand why is this so important to God? I, I put this question in your program. says, why is our contentment so important to God? The answer is very simple. See, because the opposite of contentment is to covet. See, when you are not content, you're coveting something. And when you're coveting something, you have to understand what you're doing. Because coveting, when you're saying, if I only had this, if I, if I could only live this way, if this person paid attention to me, if I had these things, what you're saying is, God is not good enough to me. He's not doing his part. See, you're charging God with something, saying, why am I not being satisfied? It's because you are not doing your part. And to some people, see, coveting means I don't need God. What they're saying is, if I only had these things, I would be happy, I would be satisfied, even if I didn't have God. See, it is very interesting to me that if you, if you, if you analyze it, the first of the Ten Commandments and the last one, in essence, say the same thing. Have you noticed that? I know you're scrambling, thinking, what was the last one? What was that? Yeah, because we know the first one, but the last one is too... Yeah. But see, the, the first commandment uh, says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. So what he's saying is, you don't need anything else. I am sufficient. If you have me, you have everything you need. And the last commandment says, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's ox. You know, and I know you're thinking, ox? Well, you know, you shouldn't covet the car that he drives, the jewelry that he wears, the clothes that he has on, the, the way his house looks or his mate looks. Because when you're doing that, you're telling God, you know, you're not enough. And the Bible teaches us that when we start coveting, what we're doing is, we are creating idols in our life. You know, we are, we are creating other gods. Look at what Colossians 3, verse 5 says. It's also Paul. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he's going to give you a list of things there. But look at what he ends with. And greed, which is idolatry. See, this is why this is so important to God. Because if you are not content with certain things, you are going to believe that there are some things out there that are more important for you than God. You're going to start ignoring God. You're going to chase those things, run after them, and get away from God, which is what happened to Adam and Eve. That was the first temptation. They were led to believe that there were certain things that if they had them, they would be better off than having a relationship with God. And when you start ignoring God, terrible things start happening in your life. You can no longer live the full life that you were designed to live. See, Jesus himself in John 10.10, 10, I don't believe that it's in your program, but you can read it on the screen. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, which is what the enemy did to Adam and Eve. He came to steal their joy, you know, kill the lifestyle that they had and, and, and destroy their happiness. But he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You understand what he's saying? See, when people in conversation ask me, why is it so important that I follow Jesus? You know, what if I don't? What I tell them is, because if you're not, you're missing the best possible life that you can have. See, he said there, I came so that you can have a full life. But see, what Paul is teaching us in this passage is that in order to have that full life, you need to learn to be content. 
Content with what? So let's analyze it. Says, what should we be content with? I'm going to talk about two different areas of things. It's not just one thing, but an area that covers a lot of stuff, okay? Number one says, the place where we are. You need to be content with the place where you are. What does that mean, the place where you are? Because I don't mean where you're sitting at the church today. See, if you, if you study um, different areas of your life, you're going to realize how our life is formed of different, like, phases of life or seasons of life, no? Think of your life as a family member. Uh, when you're born, you're a baby. You are 100% dependent on your parents or the responsible adult where you are. They need to feed you. They need to dress you. They need to do everything for you or you will not survive. That's a phase of life. That's a stage of life. Then, you know, you start growing, you become a toddler, and then it's a completely different stage. You need to become a little bit more responsible. You need to go to the bathroom in specific place. You need to learn to feed yourself, dress yourself, so things change. Then you start growing, and you're like a preteen, you know, and then you start thinking you know everything in the world, you know, and, and you know, you start living life a little bit different. Uh, so that's a very different stage. And then you become a teenager. That's when rebellion really starts. You want to prove your independence, even though you're totally dependent. You know, but you don't want to recognize it. So that's a completely different stage. Then you become a young adult. Maybe you go to college, which is a weird stage because you're still a dependent, but you're kind of independent. So you have to make your own decision in certain things. So it's a very different stage. And then you get out of college and maybe become independent, get your first job. You live in your own apartment. So that's a very different stage of life because now you depend on yourself. But then you get married. And if you get married now, you're supposed to become interdependent. Some people turn into codependence, but that's not the goal. The goal is, you know, interdependency, and that's a very, very different stage of life. And then if you have kids, now you have dependence. Now you have to take care of other people. So if you see, every one of those stages is very different. And, and what this point means is you should learn to be content, to be happy, to enjoy every phase of the journey. Regardless of circumstances. See, the same thing happens at work. You know, you enter work at an entry level, you know, and then you keep going up. Maybe you become a supervisor, then maybe a manager, then maybe you become the director of a company or CEO, or maybe you open your own business and you have employees under you. You know, every one of those is a different stage. And what Paul is saying is, you need to enjoy each one of them regardless of circumstances. And see, what he's going to do is he's going to start with, a, with an example of work. In the beginning of that chapter 6, in verse 1, Paul says these words. All who are under the joke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. See, the first thing you need to understand is that the slavery that uh, Paul is talking about is very different than the slavery that we know nowadays and we all repudiate, okay? This was not about uh, stealing people and selling them to someone else to subjugate them to do things against their will for the gain of the master. This was very different. This was a mechanism that was created actually to help people. See, when, when Joshua divided uh, the promised land between all the tribes of Israel, then they were divided among all the families of each tribe. So each family got a parcel of land, and in those days, they lived off the land, okay? Now, some of those families were very good at working their land, and they prospered, and some of them were terrible, so they went broke. Many of them were in debt. 
So this mechanism of slavery was for a person that went completely broke, go to another one that was prosperous and say, hey, um, I need to pay my debts. I don't have any money, so I'm going to sell myself to you as a slave. So if that person agreed, that person would pay off the debt, and this person would become part of their responsibilities. They would have to dress them, you know, uh, feed them, house them, and they would work entirely for them without getting any pay. But this slavery only lasted a certain amount of time, because according to Jewish law, every sabbatical year, all the slaves went free. So when somebody sold themselves to somebody else, they only received the proportional amount of money until the next sabbatical year. So it was very, he's talking really about you know, work without pay, but it's work, okay? So what he's saying is, if you are a worker, you are supposed to give your job the best that you can and your boss all the honor, because if you don't, people are going to talk bad about God, about our doctrine. See, you have to give it your all. If you are complaining, what you're doing is you're expressing your lack of faith in God's plan for your life. And not only to God, but to everyone that is listening to you, so you're really bad-mouthing God. See, I, I understand that this is a delicate point because I know that some people uh, are working in really unfair circumstances. Not all of us, but many people, especially when crises occur, you know, take advantage of the situation and will exploit people and overwork them and underpay them, okay? So if you are in such a situation, you know, it may be that your boss or the owner of the company is being very unfair, but what you cannot do is confuse the injustice of men with God's perfect plan. Because you have to understand this. See, the Bible says that all the authority that exists in this world was given by God, every single one. So presidents of countries, governors, you know, managers, CEOs, parents, all authority on earth is given by God. So if you are in that situation at this moment and God is allowing you to be there, you know, then you are supposed to give it your all because that is part of God's plan for both you and your boss or you and the people underneath you. If the boss is unfair, one day he's going to stand before God and give an account of how he used or she used her authority. But as long as you're there, you're supposed to give it your all. Uh, remember that the other type of slavery was abolished a long time ago. If you don't like your job, look for another one. Start sending resumes. It's easier to find a job when you have a job than when you don't have one. So if you have one and you don't like it, change it. But if you're there, give it your all. That's what Paul is saying here for workers. And obviously, you know, this is not just for work. Every area of life. See, what, what I see in our church is this. Um, for example, the, our, our young people, you know, our young adults that are single. There's a, a large group of um, single young adults in our church, and they're very happy hanging out together. But then some of them start getting married, and some of them are not. And they start coveting. They start like, why am I not getting married? Why is God not sending me the one, you know? And, and, and they start complaining. Or, or, or young couples that hang out together and all of a sudden, some of them start having kids, but some of them don't. And then they start complaining. Why is God not trusting me with a child? Why is he not sending me one? You know, or, or, or your friends start getting promotions in their jobs and you're not. And you're like, why am I not going up in life? Or for very silly things like, why are they being invited to parties and I'm not, you know? Like, or, or more profound things like, why are other people healing and I'm not? Or people that I love is not? 
Why do I have this set of parents? Why am I living in these circumstances? So we start complaining. And what you're basically saying is, God's not really fair. You know, he's not doing what, what he's supposed to do. And if I only had these things, these circumstances, then I would be happy. And the only thing you're doing to yourself is making yourself more unhappy because you're just concentrating on the things that you do not have. God wants you to be able to be content regardless of your circumstances. And I know that if your circumstances at this moment are hard, you're thinking, how? How do I do that? We'll get to that in just a minute. First, I want to see the other area, okay? Number two in your program says, the things we have. We have to be content, not only with the place where we're at, but the things that we have. See, I find it very interesting that what Paul is telling Timothy is that the heart of the false doctrine, you know, the false gospel, is people who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. See, the false doctrine says, if you, if you follow Christ, you're going to get these worldly riches. Their formula is God plus things that he's going to give you equals the fullness of life. But what Paul is saying here is like, no, 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 no. It's God plus contentment, which means you're happy with what you already have. That means God plus nothing else. That's the fullness of life. And this is why Paul keeps going on with these words. Look at verses 7 to 10. It says, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. See, what he's saying is the things that you cannot take with you, they are worthless. Like we didn't bring any of those things and you're not going to take any of them out of there because they're worthless. It says, if we have food and covering while we're here, it says, with this we shall be content. With the basic stuff, you should be able to be happy. It says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. Look at what he just says. He says, if all you're hoping to is be rich, you're going to be trapped, you're going to be enslaved by certain thoughts. You're going to have these desires inside your head that are going to enslave you. And look at what it says that that causes, says, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. He's saying, but when you start loving money, when you start putting money above God, that's the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. This is Christians. He's talking to you and me. He says, people that believed in God and believed in Jesus Christ for falling into this trap, what they do is they start walking away from their faith. And look at the result. And pierce themselves with many griefs. See, these are people that every time they read the Bible, they, they, they are looking for things that they're going to gain. It's all about them. And what they're going to get. You know, they, they read Genesis and they see that God said to, to Abraham, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to give you a land that is beautiful. And they, all they hear is land, right? How many acres? Where are they? When do I get them? Do I get the title? You know, like the, they didn't hear the best part. I will be your God. You know, they, they hear that Jesus said to his followers, I am preparing mansions for you in heaven and you will be in my presence eternally. And all they hear is mansions. Really? How big? How many rooms do I get to keep it for my, you know, instead of hearing the best part, which is, you will be in my presence eternally. And look, I know that if you've been coming to church for a certain amount of time, you've been studying your Bible, you know this. 
You know it's not supposed to be just about material gain, but do you realize how often we fall into this trap without even noticing? We even fall into this trap with the most holy thing. See, one of the things that we're always warning the people that serve the church in Cancun is like, you have to be careful the motivations in your heart. Because when we begin serving, you know, you put your gifts in, you know, in, in God's hands, say, please use me, and you start working for him. You feel fulfilled. That's what the Bible says is going to happen. You feel great. But then if you don't notice, you're going to cross a very thin line that is almost invisible when you're going to continue to serve, but not for the glory of God, but how good it feels. And then you're, you're working for God, but not really for God, but for your own glory. And then there's a very weird one that I see sometimes where uh, people, you know, uh, make sin about their gain or loss. This is very strange. See, uh, in the first letter of Peter, Peter says that the tragedy of sin is the wasted time that you spend separated from God. He says that's the tragedy of sin. When you sin, you separate yourself from God, and you're wasting time away from our God that fulfills you. But people that think that everything's about themselves, they see sin and they think, God's not going to bless me anymore. I'm not going to be blessed as much as I should have been. So they make it about their loss instead of about being away from God. And sometimes we even do it with the church. You know, we come to church and the question that we ask is, what are they going to give me? What are they going to do for me? What is the church going to provide, you know, me with? Uh, forgetting that we are all the church. See, the church not the building, the church not the staff. We are the church, all of us, and we serve each other, and this is how we are all served. But, but this is what happens, see? Um, Paul says, if you really want to be fulfilled, you first need to be able to be content with where you are and with what you have. And the real question is, how do we do that? Because this has to be something that happens in your heart. You can fake this one, you know, you, you, you can tell everyone else that you are content and you're very happy. And if you're truly not in your heart, you're coveting for things. And every time you see a nice car, your stomach turns or, or a house or something else. And you're really coveting and you're very unhappy. So what, how, how do we do this for real? Well, that's where the second part comes in, discontentment. So that's the number two in your problem discontentment. See, we need to understand with what should we be discontent and why are we uh, not discontent enough. Listen, um, the answer to this riddle, it's found also in verse 5, because Paul said that those who suppose that godliness is a means of gain are deprived of the truth. See, the people that are always thinking of themselves, it's because they are deprived from the truth. Jesus Christ said, Two very important things about the truth. See, in John 8, he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. Free from what? Free from coveting. Free from thinking that you need something else. Free from the world. See, we believe that there are certain things that are going to fulfill us, and Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free from that. But then in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. So he's saying, the truth will set you free, and I am the truth. In other words, 
the only way that you're going to free from coveting is through a real, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? See, look at the verse that we started with, 1 Timothy 6, 11. He said, but you men of God flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. What is the only thing that can produce those things in your life? A relationship with Jesus Christ is the only true thing that can get that happening in your life. So see, the most important thing, I wrote it in your program, is that we, we must pursue above all a relationship with Christ. See, a real, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And see, yeah, look, I, I think that sometimes in our effort to try to provide uh, spaces for you to learn more, to serve, you know, to, to help other people, uh, you know, we provide with certain things that uh, what they cause is for people to confuse what the goal of the Christian life is. And, and to explain that clearly, I would like to give you an analogy. Uh, the analogy that the Bible uses the most to compare the relationship with God and men is marriage. So think of how that works. See, when, when a man meets a woman and he likes her, what happens? It begins a pursuit, you know? I mean, real pursuit, you know, like hunting season is open, you know? They start chasing the woman. You know, if they're smart, they're going to get close to the girl and get to know her and know what she likes and what she dislikes. And they're going to try to behave in the way that she likes, remember the things that she wants and hopes for, right? They'll remember the birthday. They will accompany her everywhere. You'll be willing to go to places that you would not go with anyone else. You know, you would, all of a sudden, you love shopping, you know? You, 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 right? I mean, you go to the movies and watch movies that you don't even care for because you don't care about the movie you care about the person and if that pursuit pays up what happens you get married you know you you propose she says yes you get married but you know what's one of the most common things that happens after marriage that pursuit ends why because they confused the goal they thought that the goal was to get married so they stopped the pursuit the goal was to have a beautiful relationship, a transformational relationship with someone for as long as you both shall live, right? Right, guys? Yeah? <laughs> We're supposed to keep pursuing her heart forever, and that will produce a beautiful relationship, right? Well, that's exactly the same thing that happens with God. See, people confuse the objective. The objective was not that you became Christian and said, I'm a Christian. That was not the goal. But the goal was not for you to serve. The goal is not even for you to do missions and go and help people or come here every weekend. That's not the point of the Christian life. The point of the Christian life is that you will have an excellent relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. A relationship that will completely transform you from the inside out. You know, the closer you get to God through Jesus Christ by studying His Word, being in communion with Him by prayer, by living life with other people that are going in the same direction, is going to start turning you into him. See, that's, that's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.15. says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So the closer a relationship you have with him, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing with his eyes, feeling with his heart, thinking with his mind. And all of a sudden you're going to see all the things around you and you are going to see them as things and you're going to see the people around you and you're going to see them as beings that need to be loved 
And that's the only way to true contentment. You can't fake contentment. It's only when you see things the way God sees them and you just see them as things that are going to stay here when you go up there, then you're going to truly be content. So what is then the key to contentment? Well, it's discontentment, but with what? See, I don't know where you're at, spiritually speaking. I don't know how mature you are, but this is what needs to happen. It says we must be discontent with our spiritual growth. Regardless of where you're at right now, even if you float around the room sometimes, you need to be hungry for more. See, this is one of the most amazing things for me to read. Read the letters of Paul, and you're going to see. I believe that Paul is the human being that got closer to Jesus after he ascended. You know, the Bible says that he was raised to the third heaven, you know, in an ecstasy, in a vision. And he got conversations with Jesus. But every time you read Paul talking about Jesus, what he says is, I need more. I want to know you better. I want to be closer to you. And this is what we should have in our hearts. You know, we should learn to be content with circumstances, with the things that we have, and discontent with our relationship with God all the time. And, you know, um, I was thinking about this, and I thought, I hope this message is not misunderstood. You know, because I am not talking about being a conformist, you know, saying, okay, that's the way things are, so I have to be content, so I don't have to make another effort ever again. That's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about you being lazy, you know, that your wife is going to say, when are you going to go look for a job? You heard the pastor, we have to be content, <laughs> you know, we're, we're fine. <laughs> you know, uh, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to set goals. We're supposed to make plans on how to achieve those goals. We have to make sure that these are godly goals. We have to work hard at them. The Bible wants us to prosper and use our resources for the glory of God. But listen to me. You can use all the teachings of the Bible to set goals and prosper in your life. But if you don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Every time you get a raise, you're going to think, what else can I buy? Can I improve the house? Can I buy a, a nicer car? A third or fourth car? You know, can we go on a longer vacation? Every time you get to the next level, you're just going to be thinking, when is the next one coming? Instead of thinking, how much can I now help? How can I impact this world for the glory of God? Now I can start saving. Now I can not only tithe, but give above my tithe. Now I can truly help other people. See, we should always be hungry for more spiritually and wanting to know more God through his Holy Spirit so that we will look more like Christ. And, and, and this is truly my hope for us, you know, that we all learn to enjoy this life as it is. Because, see, the false doctrine says if you follow God, he's going to change your circumstances and you're finally going to be happy. But the true doctrine says if you get close to God, He's going to help you to see your circumstances through his eyes. And regardless of the circumstances, you're going to be able to have joy in your heart. And that's the only way that you can really enjoy life here. I know that um, if you're going through a very tough time in your life right now, uh, you're probably thinking, yeah, well, that's very easy for you to say because you don't understand what I'm going through. But I'm here to tell you today that it is precisely because you're going through those circumstances that you could learn how true these words are. Because see, our life is not easy. 
<laughs> I, I once talked to a person that told me, I thought pastors didn't have problems. You know? <laughs> See, our life is it's, it's actually very complicated at the moment. As many of you know, uh, you know, things changed terribly for us about uh, two years ago. Our two adult sons, 29 and 27, lost their sight due to a very rare genetic you know, malformation that dictated their blindness. Physically, they're perfectly fine, but they lost their sight. And, and, and I have to be very honest with you, when that happened, you know, the world all of a sudden became not just dark for them, but for all of us. And, and there were nights that, you know, uh, my wife, Corinne, and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just feel like I was being suffocated, you know, I couldn't breathe. And I would start getting these palpitations, just thinking about the future of them and what they were going to do. And, 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 and now, you know, they are dependent completely on us. What if something happened, you know, we, we had some very dark times. But it was precisely because of those dark times that when I started reading these words again, I realized what they were saying. And God started telling me, if you concentrate only on these things, you're going to miss all your blessings. You need to look around and notice how much I'm blessing you even through these things. See, the first diagnosis that they gave us of our son Alex, the younger one, the doctor thought he had a tumor in his brain. And we spent the night of December 28th waiting for the results to know if he was going to have a cancerous tumor in his brain. And when that was discarded, the next one was, well, he maybe has multiple sclerosis at 27. So when they said, they're going to be just blind, it was a blessing. Or that's it. They're going to lose their sight, but they're going to live life. They can live life normally. And they said, yes, they can. So you start missing your blessings and you focus on these things. So we have two beautiful daughters that are walking under the light of God in a beautiful way. They're both holding on to his hand. Actually, this thing that happened to our boys strengthened our family together in a way that it, it wasn't before. Our older daughter is married to a guy that if I had written a letter to God and said, this is what I want for my daughter, I would have fallen short because he sent her a, a godly man that truly loves her. You know, they have a daughter. We have a granddaughter who is eight years old, and it's beautiful, and it's smart, and it's a pain in the neck like all eight-year-olds should be, you know? And, and that's beautiful to see. You know, we have a younger daughter. She's 22. She worked here for a little bit, and, and, and she's a lovely woman. She's, she's now pretty much engaged with a guy that cherishes her, pursues her heart, you know, walks with God. You know, we have a, a church family that rallied around us, strengthened us, helped us when we most needed. They are there, here and there. So I start concentrating on, on, on the things that went wrong, and I miss all the blessings of God. We're truly blessed. Our circumstances tough? Yes, they are, for a lot of people. But if you do not invest your time in a true relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you cannot be content with what God has given you already today, it doesn't matter what else will He give you, you will never be happy. Because you're confusing. You think that your fullness is going to come from what God will give you and not from your relationship with Him. My prayer for all of us here not for this year, but for the rest of your life, is that you're truly going to pursue a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ so that you can truly enjoy your life today.
with whatever circumstance you have. Because that's the promise for us in the Bible.